Old Man Winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. Oh, <laughs> heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, Old Man Winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1,500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. 3-1 pitch, swing and a drive. Deep to right field, way up there, way out of here. Goodbye baseball. Eight strikeout for the King tonight and make it... 23 consecutive scoreless innings for Phoenix. Strike three called on the outside corner, and there it is. It's time for the Seattle Mariners baseball podcast. Kyle Seager, that just happened. Thank you very much. Now, here's your host, Gary Hill. All right, welcome back to Seattle Mariners baseball podcast. Thanks for being here once again. I'm thrilled to be here. I'm glad you are. you're here as well. This is going to be a fun one. Uh, one of the themes of camp so far in the early stages has been a discussion about pitch framing. And it's something, if you're a, a longer podcast listener, that uh, you know that's something, a subject we've talked about the last couple of years when it kind of moved to the forefront. Well, it's moved to the forefront now. It wasn't really in the forefront the last couple of years, but we've talked about it from time to time. And we're going to bring back Harry Pavlidis, who's one of my favorite guys to talk baseball with. He's fantastic from baseball perspectives. We're going to talk uh, about catcher framing, uh, what it means, how it's calculated, uh, where the current Mariners stack up in that regard. We're also going to talk a little Pakoda as they're projections came out where the Mariners fit in there but it's always a fun conversation when Harry comes on so he's going to be here in a few minutes to talk about uh, pitch framing before we get to that though we're going to talk a little bit about Felix Hernandez who threw his first bullpen over the weekend and or the next podcast I think uh, I think we'll have some highlights to play as games will get underway which is Oh, so exciting. Baseball on the radio, baseball, actual baseball games beginning. So good time, fun times, fun times. So Felix Hernandez, he threw his first bullpen over the weekend, and that's always a big occasion when the King takes to the hill for the first time. And I think it was pretty interesting, his thoughts on how it went and what he had to say about it uh, in reference to last season. Feel good. It's really good. Always good to just get started, get, get thrown. Yeah, yeah. I was throwing a minute, so, so I'm fine. How how was how many pitches did you go? I don't know. I think it was the forty somewhere. Were mm-hmm. you throwing from a mound in Venezuela, or was that? Just no, 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 no. First time from the mound. Yeah. You talked about in the off season or wanted to fix up your mechanics a little bit or tighten them up. Did you feel? I, did you feel, feel those changes? It feels good today. I mean, it feels like everything came out easy. I feel like the pitch to hold there. So happy for. Them. Would we notice differences at all in, in any of these changes? Or, or is it just like you said, staying kind of closed? And just staying closed and now open your front size. And it feels different, but it feels good too. 
How did you decide that's what you wanted to do and kind of work on? And you see, I mean, last year I was inconsistent. Left a lot of ball up with a lot of homers. So I decided just to keep the ball down and fix my mechanics. And you isolated it to that. Yeah. First time on a mound, what, what's the different feeling? Well, I've got, I mean, been doing this for a while, so I never forget <laughs> what I'm supposed to do. So, What do you look for in spring training since you have done it for a while, and how do you know when things are good? Just to be ready for season, I mean, I think uh, Poppy went first bullpen. I'm see what to go, what we're going after that. I think it's another bullpen. I'm just looking to just throw in spring training and see, see how my arm feels and see my, my body react. So pretty interesting stuff, and we'll go more in-depth with this, I think, as the season gets closer. But I thought with uh, his comments there talking about last season, leaving the ball up a little too much in the home runs, it's really interesting to look at that in comparison to 2014, even as Cy Young Award winner, when you look at kind of peel back the layers of his seasons. Because you look at the surface last year, a 3.53 ERA, much higher than the year before in 2014 when it was 214. His Cy Young Award season in 2010 was 227. And he mentioned the home runs, and right there, 23 long balls last season compared to 16 the year before, and his Cy Young Award season, 17. Because you start to peel back the layers and look at the, the numbers in depth, and you know the strikeout rate last year, was eight and a half, and that was actually higher than his Cy Young Award season in 2010, which was uh, about 8.36 strikeout rate, strikeout per nine. Then you look at ground ball rate, uh, another great indicator, and again, the ground ball rate was fantastic again last year, and basically right in line with what has been in the past. In, In fact, Last year in 2014, we're exactly the same, 56.2% ground ball rate, and that's his uh, ties him for the highest since 2008. You, you look at all those numbers, and the walk rate was a little bit higher, but higher than 2014, but still it's right in line with 2010 as Cy Young Award season. And all those numbers are right in line with one another with his past numbers. The big difference was what he alluded to is the home runs. The home runs per nine, 1.03 last year, and that was the big difference. Uh, You look at 2014, 0.61. In 2010, 0.61. He's been very consistent with that through the years, but last year it jumped up. And the percentage of home runs per fly ball was enormously higher, 15.3% compared to just 10% the year before in his Cy Young Award season, 8.5%. So nearly doubled from his Cy Young Award season to last year. But every other number falls in line. Ground ball rate, strikeout rate, some of the things you look for. And all of those the same from his landmark year. So I think that's a great sign moving forward, first of all. And if he brings the home run numbers back in line with where they've been in the past, the numbers would indicate he's going to be where he's been in the past as well With because it's right in line with those long, uh, landmark seasons. So I think that's going to be very interesting to watch with Felix Hernandez when the season starts. So uh, that really piqued my interest when he mentioned that right off the bat, the mechanical adjustments, trying to keep the ball down and limiting the home runs because – 
if he does limit the home runs, his ground ball rate stays in line, his strikeout rate stays in line, his walk rate stays in line, all those things stay in line. I think he's poised for another fantastic season, another one we've been accustomed to with the King. And he's sitting on some some history, too, that we're going to talk more about as we get closer to the season. But, again, I thought it was pretty interesting as he threw his first bullpen over the season. We'll be watching the King very closely as he's in line to take the ball huh, for game one of the season, which is just getting closer and closer. Well, one of the themes of camp so far, and I have found this to be very exciting because, as I mentioned a few minutes ago, if you've listened to the podcast, this is something that we've talked about, and that's catcher framing. And it, and it's something that a team like the Pirates a few years ago really used it to their advantage to help spring themselves into the postseason. Uh, they've been on the forefront, but it's something where teams have really realized the tremendous value that catcher framing to bring, can bring, and we're going to talk about that in just a moment. Before we do, though, Greg Johns wrote an excellent piece about it and got the thoughts from Chris Iannetta on catcher framing because he's a, a really interesting case, and we're going to reference him in a moment with Harry. But you look at Chris uh, and what he was doing with the Angels, and he had struggled, according to the numbers, in terms of catcher framing, and he went about it and studied it and practiced it and got better at it, and you look at his numbers last year, and he was one of the best in Major League Baseball at catcher framing. So it's a skill that he has really uh, honed through the last couple of years through work and practice and, and realizing it, first of all. And you'll see in the conversation with Harry, that pays in strikes, which leads to runs, which leads to wins. And it, it's pretty amazing when you look at uh, – how much of an impact it could have. And I guess it shouldn't be a surprise when you consider how many pitches are received each and every ball game. And really you only have to slice off a small percentage of that. If you can make a difference that really grows over time. So again, you should check out the piece by Greg Johns about uh, Chris Iannetta and catcher framing, but we're going to talk about it with Harry Pavlidis, who we've talked to a few times here on the podcast, and we talked about this subject a couple years ago, so it's fun that it's becoming that much more mainstream. You can follow him on Twitter, at Harry Pav, Harry, P-A-V. He's with Baseball Prospectus, baseballprospectus.com, and that's where you can find these catcher numbers that we're going to talk about. They're laid out for you, and uh, fantastic stuff. Well, Harry, it's great to talk to you once again. It's been it's been a little a little while, but uh, it's funny. I, I thought about our first conversation a couple of years ago, and it a lot of it centered around catching, framing, and now I look at all the stories come out of spring training, and I'm I'm watching the Mariners catchers practice framing, and it's really become mainstream. And you and Baseball Perspective helped bring that to the forefront in terms of the public. How gratifying is it? when you take something like that and really see it catch hold and become mainstream? Well, yeah, well, thanks for having me back. First of all, it's good to talk about this some more, and it's great that the relevance of it has increased. It's, uh, you know, I think teams have definitely started, uh, you know, more teams have definitely started making more of a concerted effort. I mean, the numbers have become undeniable, and, and we're able to publish them. And they probably match with what their scouts are seeing for the most part. So when they put together their conventional, you know, information along with the data that's publicly available, and many teams have their own framing models, of course, they they see the value. They see the fact that you can invest some time in training, and 
get things that are the market really doesn't charge you for uh, and get more out of your talent in your system. And it has this great effect on your pitching staff and uh, – you know, it's these ability to work out on these things. It's helped many catchers from bad to okay or from okay to good, and even sometimes bad to good. So having repeat, repetitive drills where the you know, pitching machine that's set up to work on certain aspects, you know, certain pitches, a certain zone that refine your technique, that comes out to the field, and they're, we're getting dividends. So it's, it is gratifying indeed, but it's also not too big of a surprise because mm-hmm. – you know, as information gets out there, everybody starts to take advantage of it and starts to level the playing field a bit. And uh, just, you know, Jeff Sullivan from Fangraph published some interesting research about how the year-to-year correlation, how similar your framing numbers are year-to-year, which is one of the hallmarks of the, the, the skill and of the metrics, it's starting to soften a bit where maybe catchers are more able to train and develop the skill, and the playing field's kind of evening, so it's it's a little harder to predict. So I think all these things are, are coming into play, and it, it's definitely fun when your, your research is then being confounded by the impacts of the aforementioned research. <laughs> so you know, how does it age? How do you train it? It's like, well, our ability to measure that is broken because it's an open system, and they're starting to train it. I and mean, you literally see guys talk in the media about – I saw my numbers. I knew I had to work on them, whether it's Chris Iannetta uh, or Derek Norris. Uh, you know, it, it's not everybody comes out like Mike Zunino fully formed. Even a veteran catcher like Chris Iannetta had to work on it and proved. And that's, again, what you're seeing carry through into the spring. It's the perfect guy to talk about because now it looks like Chris Iannetta is going to be the starting catcher on opening day for the Mariners. And you look at his metrics and – he was outstanding last year framing, but he had struggled yeah. with it in his past. But you could, you mentioned it. He talked about working on framing, and it looks like, according to the numbers last year, he was very good. Yes. So the fact that he could turn it around, I mean, he might be one of those great examples of how big of an impact you can make. Uh, Wellington Castillo, who came through the you know, system briefly last year, mm-hmm. not a good framer, but he was much, much worse when he was, first came up with the Cubs. And, and they had a coach who really specialized in it, Mike Borzello, who trained him uh, quite a bit and improved his techniques to the point where he was not still not average even, but he, he wasn't a disaster. He was able to re- legitimately combine his other skills and be a positive receiver. And I think that's what you can see with Iannetta, where you, you put everything together, catching's a hard job, but if you add in that framing ability, you, you're going to help your pitchers every game, even if you're not having a good day at the plate, even if you're not having a good day throwing run, out runners. Just every you know, 70 or so pitch of the game where you have a chance to give your pitcher a little bit of an edge, it, it, it adds up. For people that are new to it, walk us through how you come up with framing runs and how it works. How do you define somebody as a good framer? Well, it's a multi-step process. I mean, the first thing we have to do is understand the strike zone. And the strike zone varies a little bit depending on a bunch of factors. Well, of course, the batter's height and, you know, how he stands at the plate. So, but also the size of the plate, which, which edge, you know, how close to the actual plate edge is the strike zone. It varies if it's a left-handed hitter or a right-handed hitter. It's a different shape with a different, different zone. Uh, and the strike zone even changes from count to count. Mm-hmm. So you have a gigantic strike zone on 3-0, but a tiny strike zone on 0-2. And you can see that that change through 
the past you know eight years where we every season where we have pitch FX data. Strike zone also changes every year. It's gotten lower, and now they're talking about bringing it up. So you have all these factors that you have to carefully measure, and you basically come up with a map where we, every location that you could a ball could cross the plate, depending on the batter hand, the pitcher hand, uh, even what type of pitch it is, if it's a breaking ball or fastball, uh, you know what the count is, and then we figure out what the strike zone typically is across baseball for that spot, for that pitch, for that count, for those hands. And then we do another step where we put all the – it's kind of a modeling process where you take the catcher, the umpire, the pitcher, and the batter, and this information, one available about the pitch location, and you put that into a mathematical process that sorts out which of these different actors had the most influence and, of course, the pitcher who put the ball there has a lot of influence, but they have influence beyond that, beyond where they put the ball. Good command pitchers are easier to frame. So you really have to account for that pitcher. Uh, for every pitch they throw to a catcher, how that impacts. So you have that. You have the umpires who strike zone vary. So we try and, you know, so we really have framings for all those, you know, even for batters. Some batters get different benefit of the doubt than others. So you put all those things in to figure out what's the catcher's impact, what's what is he putting into the framing, you know, what's not to be his credit, you know, what the pitch was, who the pitcher is, and all these things don't go to the catcher. And then there's just the random fluctuation and noise, and you know, things happen. So once you go through all the math to squeeze out the right amount of credit for the catcher. Then you can convert it to how many strikes they save. I mean, basically, what we get is a percentage mm. of how much they improve the likelihood of a pitch being a strike on average. And, and a one percent is very good. Uh, and that one percent would actually add up to roughly one win value, because we know that a strike, the difference between a called strike and a called ball, on average, depending on the count, is about a sixth of a run. So something like six or seven maybe strikes is worth a run to your defense. Wow. And nine and nine runs to maybe ten runs, nine and change, depending on the year, roughly translates to a win for your team. So you get to the situation where you were to some back of the envelope math there, sixty or seventy extra strikes is a win. So that one percent adds up over the course of 7,000 or even 10,000 you know, pitches received to be that win. And the top guys, like a Jonathan Lucroy, they can actually be 3%. Sometimes guys are up to 4% advantage. And you're seriously talking about three or four wins added to the top line. Talking about moving guys from being a very good player to being an MVP caliber player, which – Oddly, we're projecting that's Monty Grandal, who's the catcher for the Dodgers, mm. to be one of the most, most valuable players in Major League Baseball this year. Mostly in part, his ability to frame the pitch and make sure the maximum number of available strikes go to his pitchers. And being an above-average hitting catcher with an elite pitch-receiving skill, suddenly you're up there being close to being value of a Buster Posey. Yeah, because it, I mean, it becomes it becomes math. I mean, guys receive so many pitches, and you lay it out perfectly of how much impact they can have during the course of a season. It's fantastic. Uh, I love the metric, and I love that it's really become mainstream. And it's been fun to watch Mariners catchers practicing framing every single day of spring training. 
And, of course, this is a fun time of year as well at Baseball Prospectus because the Pocota projections come out, which is always yeah. fun to talk about. And what does Pocota think of the Mariners this year? When we run projections and come up with these standings, if there's a couple different things that go into it, uh, and a couple, kind of the one big one, of course, is what we how we think players are going to perform. Mm-hmm. The other one is how much playing time we think they're going to get. So when we project what we think uh, a team's performance is at this point in the year, it's based on where we think the playing time is going to go and what type of quality there is. So it changes quite a bit. Uh, when we project teams, you know, we tend to be very conservative because you're talking about adding up a bunch of projections for many different players. So you end up coming up with usually conservative numbers. But these can change based on free agencies, injuries, any other mistake we, you know, we make or information we couldn't possibly have mm-hmm. about the roster makeup. But right now, all that said, we think that we think the Mariners are going to be uh, not quite a playoff team, but second place in their division. Okay. Who does Dakota like in the American League? Cleveland. Okay. And Tampa are the two ninety ninety-two and ninety-one wins respectively. Is there anything in the American League? Is there anything that really surprised you about the projections this year? Yeah, definitely. I mean, it surprises me that we, we keep being so hard on the Royals. The last year with the Royals was our, our the biggest miss ever. Yeah. And that happens. Um, but, <laughs> that, but, again, we have them at 76 wins. Mm-hmm. So it's one of those things. We even made changes to Pakoda, not because of the Royals, but we, there were things that we you know, changed how we look at pitching, how far back we look at pitching. We changed kind of the whole system of, of projecting pitching. And we also made some improvements on defense and you know, adding framing and more, you know, just more things up, how players throw, and just improved all our general things. And we thought some of those are where they supposedly do better. And still we came out you know, with them finishing dead last. Well, what, uh, again, what, what was it about the Royals? How were they able to defy what was projected? Uh, probably their bullpen. Mm. I don't think we do a very good job at. You know, we're very. It's very hard to be optimistic about relief pitchers because they're a very erratic sort. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so it's we, we, it takes a lot for Pakoda. And like I said, we did change it a bit. We changed it so it doesn't look back as far and put so much weight on, you know, far, you know, distant performance. Because pitchers are kind of a dynamic group. But we still end up not really liking their bullpen all that much, mm. uh, which is which is surprising because they're a very effective bullpen. They tend to shorten up the rotation. So there's something perhaps there where we're not getting all the elements of performance in relief pitchers. I don't think we're uh, handling how well perhaps they manage a bullpen in, in terms of optimizing the use of resources. So I, I don't know if we're, you know, not sure exactly how we could completely solve that problem. I think we would be able to do a better job of figuring out how the bullpen may impact the uh, success, kind of in a, the, the sum of the parts is greater than the whole so there's you know if you properly manage these resources you can get more out of them but you know how do you project that and assume that so there's some tricky things there but it's one of those uh you know pitching is hard to project not the only projection system who's down on them i mean everybody else seems to be coming up with them as being 
you know, 80 below 80 wins yeah. from last I checked. So it's, it might be their base running, uh, maybe their defense. And, you know, one of the things we're trying to look at is uncertainty and how much uncertainty there is in all these metrics and in these projections. And at the team level, we're not really sure. We show at the player level, if our subscribers can see, you know, the, the 10th to 90th percentile, how bad or how good a player can be in a given, you know, projected season. But we're not doing that with the team. So you pretty much say, this is what we think, you know, this is the middle of the road estimate. Um, but that doesn't tell you how much uncertainty there is. And teams that are more reliant on defense are going to have more uncertainty because defense is much harder to measure. So there's it's we want to start kind of exposing that and showing those inner workings to people so they can see that like look we don't have a great projection for the royals but their upside may be much much higher than some other teams so there's there may be more range you know, i i do i know that but it's the type of thing that we want to explore and make a little more apparent to people that this is this is an estimate and it's the middle of the road estimate and obviously the, the floor might not be that far, but the ceiling might be very high. It might not be a normal bell curve looking distribution. So we want to start peeling off those layers and, and exposing them. And same thing for the framing metric. We want to show people what we think the error bars, you know, how much how much plus or minus. You know, when you see a poll, you know, good, good reference point for nowadays with all the you know, primaries going on. So we show the difference is 5% plus or minus 2%. We want to show that plus or minus on all our stats, whether it's a pitching metric or a hitting metric or a fielding metric or even a sub part. So that's the type of stuff we, we, we hope to show people with baseball prospectus is, you know, come to baseball prospectus, not just the stats, but how how precise they are, how, you know, how, how tight of a estimate or measurement do we think that they are or not are not. Yeah. Well, you're in Chicago, and I can't let you go without uh, without a Cubs question. What do you think of the Chicago <laughs> Cubs this year? They're going to score a lot of runs, I think. <laughs> um, they, they, they may be the best offense in the National League. Yeah. Um, you know, right now we have them pretty much uh, – let's see. Do we have them ahead just – just ahead of the Dodgers, we have them. We predict them to score 744 runs right now. Uh, project them, excuse me. And the Dodgers would be next at 712. So, you know, and we also expect them to have a good pitching staff. And so they're, they're, they're right now projected for 92 wins, which outside of the Dodgers uh, is you know, the best in the league. So they're, they're far ahead favorites in their, in their division. And by quite a lot. Uh, you know, nobody's, you know, Pittsburgh and St. Louis, we have 83 and 82 wins right now. Mm. So, Pocota really likes the Cubs. Um, but yeah, everything has to come together. You know, you've got, you know, expectations that John Lackey pitches very well. You know, he's a veteran guy. We'll see how, just how well, you know, how well Arietta sustains. Right now, we have Arietta and Lester is very close, being both very good. Uh, so, there's, if those guys stay healthy and pitch close to their projected levels, it's going to give the Cubs a pretty healthy, you know, core to their rotation. And the offense, we just believe heavily in their offense. You have a lot of guys who are torn up everywhere they've been. Yeah. Uh, and they're young and in that part of the aging curve where they're getting better. So what's crazy is that these patient uh, play-to-work guys are, are, you know, getting a year older. And you've added in Hayward, Zobrist. I mean, that's, oh boy, 
<laughs> it's loaded. That's suddenly, you have a, suddenly you have a really good baseball team up here, and it's kind of it's like it's a little surreal. <laughs> no it's, doubt. It, it happened. Yeah. Well, finally, I know you always have a lot of great stuff going on at Baseball Perspective. Any anything new on the horizon that we can look forward to? Yeah. Well, besides the stuff with confidence intervals, uh, we are looking at new ways of breaking down pitching and um, how a couple things like how a pitcher's repertoire works together. And in certain ways, it's a, a lot of it's about pitch sequencing. A lot of it about is about the, the tunneling idea where the pitches kind of come from a similar point at the decision point. So we're, we're doing some work right now that hopefully in the next week or two mm-hmm. we're going to be releasing. Uh, and also, you know, there's the great unknowns. We have, kind of, we have a big research team, and they're constantly working on new ideas, new ways to present, new ways to visualize data. So, you know, stay tuned. We'll see what comes out. But those are definitely the things that are on the horizon. The, the error bars, you know, those confidence intervals, which we think really open up people's understanding of how these things work or, or really work or work together. And then, you know, then another way to start to find some new ways to discuss and describe pitching and visualize pitching as well. Baseball Prospectus is the website, baseballperspectus.com. Baseball Prospectus, the book, 2016, is out. That is a must-have, I think, for any baseball fan. And you can follow Harry on Twitter, Harry Pav, Harry P-A-V, and uh, a must-follow as well. Harry, thanks for the time. I always appreciate the visit, and we should do this again soon. Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me. There it was, one of my favorite guys to talk to, and – we always end the uh, the podcast, or we usually end the podcast, with a little bit of Mariners history. And I thought since we've talked so much about catching, and Dan Wilson, of course, is at spring training. He's very involved in the catchers in spring training. And I thought we'd, we'd play a, an old-school Dan Wilson highlight to end things here. So glad you're with us. We'll be back soon as uh, spring training rolls along. Tim Will, come to the plate. To the next pitch, it's popped up. Foul territory may be playable. Over is Wilson sliding into the dugout. Is he? He made the catch. My, oh my! He disappeared from our view. We had to look at the monitor because we couldn't see. He went right into the Mariner dugout, sliding on his knees to make one of the more incredible catches you will ever want to see to end the inning. And a standing ovation for Dan Wilson. What a catch. See you later. See you later. See you later. See you later.